Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. This week, an adopted woman forms a close relationship with her biological father, but then a DNA test reveals a shocking surprise. Growing up, it was super important to me to have the answers as to who my biological parents were. So it was pretty devastating when the person who was supposed to be my father wasn't my father, and I had another father out there somewhere. Listen in, and maybe learn something about yourself in the process. Hey, just a note before we start. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Laurie. Hey, Guy. Well, we have an interesting letter this week. Let's get to it. Okay. Dear Therapists, I'm an adult adoptee who reunited with both my birth parents 22 years ago. My birth father, whom I'll call Alan, put in his name at the agency and facilitated the reunion, and he tracked down my birth mother to give her the chance to be part of it. All started off well with everyone. About a year after the reunion, though, my birth mother dropped out of the permanent picture, though she did make a few reappearances over the years, the last one ending badly, as she said she was willing to have an occasional relationship with only me, but not my kids, who would have wanted a relationship with her. I wanted more than to be some sort of secret daughter. Meanwhile, Alan and his family have shared a very close and loving relationship with me and my family in the 22 years since our reunion, and it's been wonderful. However, after recently doing DNA testing, I found out that Alan is not actually my birth father. Needless to say, that was pretty shocking news. Alan told me that it doesn't change anything for him, but I'm heartbroken for him and his family. Imagine all they've been through. For me, it doesn't change the fact that he's been an amazing dad and grandpa for 22 years. But as I move forward with trying to find out the truth of who my real father is, I feel like we needed to address it. I reached out to Alan's wife, who has been like a stepmom to me, for advice, only to discover that she does not believe in DNA tests. In her mind, that I walked identically to Uncle Terry was proof that I was my dad's child. It had been upsetting for me, and obviously the reality that the man I thought was my father was lied to all those years ago is huge for him and his family to deal with. I suffer a lot of guilt, thinking I'm a reminder of massive pain to them. I also contacted my birth mother, informed her that I did a DNA test and that Alan is not in fact my birth father. Her response to me was, this isn't Mamma Mia, don't contact me again. I decided to write to my birth mother's other siblings. I wanted them to know that I had wanted a relationship with them all those years. The response was positive, and now I am trying to navigate a relationship with them, despite the fact that my birth mother wrote to me after and told me never to contact any of her family again. When I told my no longer birth dad about this, he said while he wished me the best with it, he never wanted to hear any of their names again. My adoptive mum is also not supportive of my pursuing a relationship with them, so it's a bit tough. And finally, 
A third cousin I matched with on Ancestry reached out and has unraveled who my biological father is. All I know right now is that he was the same age as my birth mother at the time of my birth, 16, and living on the same military base. I find all of this a bit tricky to navigate. Being adopted, I already know that family isn't just about blood, but isn't honesty important? Or do I just leave that be and carry on as we always have? Thanks, Christine. Wow. That is such a painful and complicated situation. Painful and complicated indeed. And there's so many players and so many of them are hurting, but especially Christine, it sounds like, because it's hard to make sense of one adoption. It's really hard to make sense when you find out that the person you thought was your biological dad actually wasn't. Now you don't know who is. Now you have to start searching all over again. Everyone's hurt. She's not getting support. It's a really tricky one. Yeah, there's there's so much layered in here with the secrets and the lies. Carl Jung called secrets psychic poison. And I think that's what's happening here too, is that there was this secret that Alan didn't know about and that Christine didn't know about. And it's not clear whether her biological mother lied or whether she didn't know who the father was. So that's an important piece of information. What I'm hearing from a lot of people is that DNA testing is so widely available now. It's making a lot of people have to really think through what their definition of family is and how we define family. And especially in this age where we are going to find out that a lot of who we thought were family are not biological family. Yeah, absolutely. She said, being adopted, I know that family is more than blood. But I also think family is about openness and trust and safety. And what she's missing right now, and I'm not sure which pieces of her family she's going to get this from. But I think she really needs all three of those components for her to feel like she has family that feels good to her. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Well, let's go talk to her. Let's. 
So hi, Christine. Welcome. Great to have you on our show. Thanks for having me. It's a very complicated situation that you described, and it sounds like there's been so many twists and turns and all of them so intense and emotional. And I guess given so much has happened, has anything else happened since you wrote your letter to us? Well, I have now connected to my biological father and I've spoken with him on the phone now and I'm connected to his family. Oh, wow. Yes. So tell us about that a little bit, how that happened and, and what that was like. So uh, I guess the individual who connected me to the family through ancestry, he told the mother, like my biological grandmother, that I existed and he put me in touch with her. Then she connected me to my biological father and we had a couple emails and then decided that it was good to talk on the phone and chat that way. Was he surprised to learn that he had a daughter? He was surprised. So what happened is I sent my biological grandmother a picture of my birth mother from back then and her name just to see if she recognized or knew. And she didn't, but she showed him the picture. And right away, he knew who it was and said, yes, we were dating for a few months. And then we broke up and we knew that she went away, but didn't know what had happened. And as she came back without a baby, no one knew that she had a baby. So what was it like for him to hear from you? What was his reaction? I think he's pretty shocked and still taking it in. I can't imagine what it would be like to suddenly find out that you have a child that's a complete shock, which is very different from the man I was told is my father, who for the 20 whatever years before he put his name in on the registry, had thought he had a child and felt the loss of that child. And so that was like his impetus to like try to find me. What was it like for you? Because this has been such a long quest. So now you actually know who both your biological parents are. What was it like to actually get that answer for you? Well, it's a huge relief. I mean, uh, growing up was super important to me to have the answers as to who my biological parents were. And so it was pretty devastating in the period when then the person who was supposed to be my father wasn't my father. And I had another father out there somewhere. So on the one hand, it was a big relief. But then I have to say, when I called him, when I was making that first call, it took me a really long time to do it. I was very overwhelmed by emotion. Um, sorry, even talking about it now, it's of course. a little hard. Um, but it was also kind of acknowledging that Alan, the man who was my father for the past 22 years, acknowledging that he's being kind of replaced by someone else. Because again, I want to have a relationship with him and he'll always be a dad, but it was really solidifying. Like, this is real. This other person is my father and not Alan. Do you feel that sense of almost disloyalty? Yes. Yeah. Can you say more about that? It does feel like a bit of a betrayal because... Alan has been my father for the past 22 years and a really great father. And so a lot of people, when this all came to light, were kind of like, well, do you even need to find someone else? You know, you have a great person in your life. So isn't that enough? But it goes back to the first time when I wanted to find out who my biological parents were. It wasn't any slight against my adoptive family. It was just this needing to know. But I still feel guilt. I mean, it's been there, I guess, from the beginning that there's this feeling of guilt for any kind of pursuit of your biological family when you're adopted. Yeah, you know, this is so common, I think, where there's this whole question of if you want to understand more about where you came from, which is a basic human need. What is my identity? Where did I come from? Some people feel like, well, wait a minute, are we not enough? We love you. You're our family. And I think this whole situation brings up this question of what are these basic human needs about not having secrets and transparency? Could you tell us a little bit about how you were raised? 
my mom and dad were a couple who couldn't have kids because my mom had a hysterectomy. So they adopted my brother and then they adopted me and we were a reasonable family, average, like, you know, growing up happy. My adoptive dad did die the year after I had the reunion with my other father and uh, biological mother. How old were you at the time? I was 22. Mm. Mm. I'd had the reunion with my family and my adoptive dad died. And Mm. so it was a pretty big year. But I felt like in a way I was losing one father and then the universe gave me another father, which was really wonderful. How was the fact that you and your brother were both adopted talked about in your family? So certainly the adoption was a really strong point of contention. I was given a book and that was about the dialogue. You know, otherwise it was like, this is supposed to be secret. Like, you know, we don't talk about it. This is your family. And so I had a hard time processing it when I was young, that I had parents that would give me away, you know, had a lot of questions and nowhere to go with them. And then I knew as soon as I turned 18 and legally I could search myself, I would. And my adoptive family was very upset with me. Even my brother, who was also adopted, was not supportive at all of me Mm. searching. Who is supporting you right now in what's going on? My husband is very supportive. I have a friend. She's a social worker, so she was very helpful in giving insight and information in my initial search. I'm very grateful for her and other friends that I have. And, you know, even my kids, it's been a bit eye-opening for them, but... They are very supportive and and understanding. I can just see how emotional this is for you. And it's not just about the discovery of, okay, now I finally connected. It's all these relationships that are being tested. Which are the ones that are most troubling to you? Not the most important relationships, but which are the relationships in which the tension is most urgent for you to repair? I guess with Alan, the, you know, the man who has been my father the past Mm -hmm. 22 years, just making sure that that's okay, because he's been such a wonderful addition to my life and to my children's life. And, you know, I really don't want this to damage that connection that we have. You were 22 when Alan found you. What was the reaction of your family since they had not been supportive of your searching? Uh, Well, initially they were very kind of trepidatious, aloof, like not involved. But over the years, it certainly like it has improved that, you know, now it has just been like a big extension of family like to the point that my mom, my adoptive mom, when I told her I was going to try to find out now who my biological father was, her reaction was like, oh, poor Alan, you can't do that to Alan. Mm. She related to that because that's how it felt to her when you wanted to search. Yeah. What's going to happen if you find these other people and you have a relationship with them? She was projecting that onto how Alan might feel. Right. Yeah, I can see that. So what is the current situation with Alan right now? I'm trying to find a balance of, you know, sharing. It's a big life event, right? And so I feel like I should be telling my parents about what's happening. But I worry like that it's hurtful if I'm like, I talked to my biological father and it was really wonderful. Like, is that going to be difficult? And I know that Alan has said that it is hard for him, but he wants to know and be kept in the loop. So we're trying to navigate it. It just, I worry every time I, you know, send an update that it's going to be really upsetting. What I think is running through all of these stories is this fear of being abandoned by people, even though you've done nothing wrong. So you were wondering when you were little, why did my parents give me up, right? Yeah. And then later you found Alan and then you got this information that he wasn't really your biological father. And I think you worried about, are they going to feel the same about me? 
And then there became this issue of, and now I found my biological father. And with every revelation, there's this question of who's going to stay with me through this? Who's going to still love me? And what is going to happen to these relationships? And that puts you in a very precarious position emotionally. Yes. What's really compelling here is that there's this parallel process happening on the other side. In other words, part of why your mom and Alan perhaps are having a hard time because they're might also be wondering, is she still going to love us if she finds these people? And I think that's what's so difficult here, because it sounds like a lot of you are in pain and a lot of you are questioning things. And with each new revelation, it's about, well, what does that do to our relationship? What does that do to the love she has for us? What does it do to the love they have for you? And it sounds like there's a lot of reassurance that's necessary all around, how much of that goes on, that reassurance from you to them, from them to you? Is that something that, that's being expressed enough? To a degree, but I guess maybe there could be more. On whose part? I feel like I'm the initiator a lot of the times. Like I have to reach out to people more than people reach out to me to say, you know, we still love you and it's going to be fine. Have you seen a change in your relationship with Alan and his family since these revelations? Yes. Yeah. Can you describe what's different? Before it was just easy, but now it's like I feel like I have to take a deep breath. I've lost that sense of ease that I had before, you know, and, and then this worry that wasn't there. It's hard to describe. It just doesn't feel like the connection is the same. Right. There's this question of who am I to you and who are you to me now? Yes. Can we find out a little bit more about your biological mother and what that experience has been like for you? It sounds incredibly painful where you've reached out to her and at first she was somewhat receptive and then she sort of closed the door and, and she did it with not a lot of sensitivity. So... Can you talk more about what that was like for you? In a word, it has been awful. I think it's every adoptee's worst nightmare to be rejected like again. And with her it having been multiple times now, and the time before when I reached out to her to find out if she would give me any information about my biological father, We'd been rebuilding our relationship and things seemed to be going well. And, you know, my kids were excited because in their mind, it was like, oh, you know, a new part of our family. This is going to be wonderful. And when I told her that, she just said, like, no, sorry, like, your kids have no part in my family. I don't want to meet them. And that was it. Does she have children that she had subsequent to you? Yes, she had a son after me, about a year after she had me. Oh, still very young. Yes. That she kept. Yes. And did you have any contact with him? I did. In the initial time when Alan had put his name in and, and let them know he was going to be finding me, her and her family were interested. And I met her family. I met her son. And things were good. But then when things started to go bad, I could see that as a son that he could see that his mom was hurting. And so... He was pretty angry by the end about the reunion and felt like his life had been disrupted and, and everything. So, Do you know why she was hurting? I think she was finding the reunion process hard. I think that with her and Alan, that there were a lot of unresolved feelings that they were dealing with. There's kind of a whole side story of their own relationship and trying to figure out what happened and where they were. Mm. So there was conflict there at the time. What was her relationship with Alan that made her either believe or decide to say that Alan was the biological father? She was 14 when they started going out and she was 16 when she had me. So they had a long-term relationship. 
he had given her a promise ring. They were supposed to be together forever. But then she moved away and she told him she wanted to see other people. And one of those other people happened to be my biological father. But I guess at some point they must have gotten back together, you know, after she found out she was pregnant. And so Alan then was led to believe that he was the father and they were going to run away together to have me. And the day before they were supposed to leave, she told him that she had told her parents and that she was going to be sent away. And that was it. That must have been such a difficult memory for her. You're a teenager and you're scared and you don't know what to do. And you make this decision to tell your parents because you need to. And I don't know how they reacted, but it was a secret. They sent her away. And that must have been something that was in some ways shameful in her family. Oh, yes. And yet, when you approached the rest of the family, they were much more welcoming. It didn't seem like they had whatever feelings might have been there a long time ago. Yeah, right. Given all the experience that you've now had with all of this, how do you define what family is right now? Oh, (laughs) I guess at this point, like my best answer is that it's the people who are there for you, the people who come into your life and stay there through thick and thin and who give love and receive love. Mm. I think that's a lovely definition. So for you, that would be who right now? My kids, obviously my husband, my mom, Alan, and his wife, Susan. Given the definition you gave us of what family means to you, What are your hopes for what your relationship with your biological dad and his mom will be like going forward? Well, I have to confess, I'm hopeful that they will become family too, but it's such an early stage of things that I don't know. His mom is very warm and receptive, but with him, I haven't quite gotten a handle. And so I would say that there is that feeling of worrying about rejection that has me kind of nervous at at this stage. I want to go back just once more to this question of what happened with your biological mom. So initially she was potentially interested in having some kind of contact with you. And then she didn't want the kind of contact that you wanted, which was to bring your whole family into this relationship. And then she got very closed off. And that comment sticks with me that you wrote in your letter about this isn't Mamma Mia, right? There's your story. And then there's a whole story that happened, which was your mom had a boyfriend and then she said, I need to see other people. And she had a different boyfriend. And then the other boyfriend maybe didn't know about that boyfriend. We don't know. But there was a whole drama going on with these three people. There was a whole story going on. But the fact is that the shadow of that story lives on in what's happening right now for your mom and and for everybody, in fact. I wonder how you've made sense of your mom's reaction and have you been able to take in at all the fact that other people in the family on that side are interested in welcoming you? I don't know how to make sense, really, especially as a mother myself. It's so hard to figure out why she wouldn't want to be open to a relationship and and why she's so closed off. I have a really hard time understanding why it's such a like hard no for her. And with her family being receptive and and everything, it, it just it really doesn't make sense. And they can't shed any insight themselves. They actually don't know. Or they can't because they feel they need to be loyal to her and they don't want to share that information with you. I guess that could be part of it. I I think with one of her siblings, like she's more open and would say if like she had insight. I I get the impression that my biological mother is a very emotionally closed off person. 
Did you ever know your mom's parents? Because it was their decision to send her away to have the baby. Do you know more about them or were they open to meeting you? Yeah, so I did meet them and and they were very open. I reread all of the initial letters and cards and everything I got from everyone recently and going through all of this. And it was very much like we've been waiting to do this. We've always thought about you and everything. And even after things got kind of kiboshed by my biological mother and everyone else stopped having contact with me, there was a period of time where I still would get letters from her mom and she would send magazine subscriptions for my kids, but then it dwindled off and I'm not sure why or what happened on their side of things. You know, one of the painful things in all of this was when I found the obituary for my grandmother and it was really hard to deal with because I guess I naively always thought that there would be some kind of reconciliation or some kind of resolution or like no one would be gone permanently before there would be that opportunity. And also by not being notified when your biological grandmother dies, there's almost like a statement there about who is yes. and who isn't part of the family that you don't even get to know. And you had been in touch and she had been sending these subscriptions to your kids. That must have been really difficult. It definitely felt like a huge rejection because I would have thought at least if someone was sick or dying that I would have been given the opportunity to know at the very least. And then reading the obituary, which then had, you know, all the family listed and mm. my name wasn't there and my kids' names weren't there. So that was a very hurtful thing to experience. I have a question about the relationship between Alan and your mom. So when Alan discovered you and then got in touch with your mom, had they been in touch at all over the years? After she came back from having me, they tried to stay together for a period of time. And then a month or so after, they just found like the emotion of it was too much. So I think it was a very painful and emotional breakup for them in light of the circumstances. And then that was it. And they just never saw each other. And so hadn't seen each other or talked to each other or had any kind of insight into each other for 22 years. And then to be reuniting with the child that they had given up and everything opened a lot of old wounds and a lot of people, you know, looking from the outside in said to me after things kind of went downhill that it seemed like she was more interested in pursuing a, a relationship with him than she was with me. Even though he was married? Even though he was married. Mm. So many hurt feelings all around. Are you able to focus on yours? I'm a person who worries about other people's feelings. And I think that goes back to adoption trauma and always having a worry about being rejected and people abandoning me. I don't want to self-sabotage on the one hand. And I also don't want to not consider my own feelings because I have a tendency to make sure other people are okay and at my own expense. Mm -hmm. Which of your relationships is the one about which you feel most concerned? Because I think you mentioned Alan before. Yes, and I, I think that is the most important one to me because their life could have been totally different if my biological mother had been honest way back when. You know, it's just been so many years of heartache for them until they met me and then it's been really great and now it's like this big bomb and this big betrayal. And so I, I feel... I guess at times, like, it would be hard for them to even look at me. I, I want to reframe that because, yes, there was this time for 22 years. That's a long time to say, I have this child out there and I'm longing to connect with that child. That is a lot of pain for Alan to have dealt with. But then there's the other piece, which is that for all of these years, you've had this beautiful relationship with him and his family. You say that when they look at you, they see this reminder of trauma and pain. But I think that when they look at you, 
they see love and that they love you so much that they are afraid of losing you. So I think that what you're seeing in them isn't, oh, you know, I want to avoid her because she's this reminder of all of this pain, but I am so attached to this person and I'm afraid that our relationship is going to be changed in a way that is going to be very sad. And I think it also is related to what you said, that you have this tendency to worry for other people's feelings more than your own. And it's possible that you're assuming something that might not be true. You're assuming that they're in pain because you're a reminder, but they might be in pain because they see you in pain. And the pain that you might see in their eyes, the pain they see in yours, this ping pong of pain going back and forth, but not in any way related to any kind of regret. You said if their lives would have been very different, if this all wouldn't have happened, it would have, it would have been less rich all around. That seems pretty clear given the strength of the relationship over so many years. And so I want to caution you not to assume that you know what the pain is that they're feeling and that you're the cause of it. And it can also be many things at once, like with your mother. It, it might have been very painful for your mother to have had a hysterectomy and know that she wasn't going to have a child in the way that she had imagined. And that when you came into the family and your brother came into the family and you became those children and you fulfilled that dream for her. And so there's that feeling of, I got to have my kids and I love my kids so much. And now that they found these other families, are they going to leave me? You all have the same fear about we all love each other and there are so many different parts of this family and every single person is asking, am I going to get left out? Meaning Alan, his family, your mother, and maybe even whatever develops with your biological dad and his mom. And then there's, there's your biological mother. You know, right now the door is, is really closed. But I don't know that that's the end of the story, especially because you're in touch with part of her family as well. Maybe we can give you some tools for how you might talk to, say, your mom and Alan about what your experience is and also allowing some room for you to reassure them a little bit, which isn't so much worrying about their feelings, but just to tell them about the depth of your feeling for them so that people aren't wondering. There's not this unspoken question lingering in the air. And I think, Christine, one way to do that is to share with them that one thing that you've been thinking about with all of this is what defines family. And and your definition was very specific. It was that the, the people who are there for you, but consistently who remain there for you through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs. And I think if you share that and say that your conclusion from all of this was that by that definition, they are and always will be your family and you will always be their family. And to share that realization with them that after all of these years, all of these searching, the ups and the downs and the revelations, that that's what you do know. And I think it would be really powerful for you to share that with them and to see how you feel in sharing that with them. I think that's good. I think that would be helpful. It helps me to think of it that way, like that this, like, you know, is my family and these are the reasons why. And so I think for me to tell them that and, you know, for us to discuss that, I think would probably be good for everyone in the aftermath of everything that's happened um, in all of this. So I, I think that that would be a good place to start a conversation about family and what we mean to each other. And it's also a good conversation to have with your husband and your kids because they're a part of this too. Yes. But to share with them, this is where you've landed at this moment in time. 
And I think it will help your kids with whatever confusion they might have around all of the events. And it will help your husband to understand more about you and your experience. Yes, that's a good point, too. One thing to keep in mind, Christine, based on what you've described, it's possible that Alan or your mom might hear what you have to say and probably really appreciate what you have to say, but feel that it might be difficult for them to enter into deeper discussion of it. If that's the case, it would be great if you could do it on a video call because you might see the reaction in their eyes more than in the words they're able to convey to you. If you say that to them and you see them being very moved and very touched, at, but unable to go further into the discussion at that time, that that might be sufficient, not forever, obviously, but for that moment. I think that's a really good point because so much being back and forth by email or by text, you really miss out on that human element of it that is in people's expressions and body language and, and everything. Yeah, and they need to see you too, because they need to see how you feel when you're conveying that sentiment. You know, uh, I think that would be useful. Yeah. And as we're talking about seeing them and having them see you, I think there's a, a metaphor here, which is that for a very long time you weren't seen. You had all these questions and you said it was such a relief when you got this information to finally both see what the story was and to be seen. And so just to keep that in your back pocket, that idea of how important it is to finally be seen and making these calls to them is a way of, of literally and figuratively being seen. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's important too. I really appreciated the insight. I think Something big for me is just thinking of the context of, sorry, of emotional, um, of everyone being scared and the fear that everyone has. And I think that was a really important frame to put things in. Mm -hmm. You know, the scariest thing for most humans is the idea that the love they have will be taken away. Yes. And I think that every single person here, including your biological mom, because there's something there, whether it's her, her son who is angry or we don't really know. I think every single person is afraid of losing love. And your message is, wait a minute, this is all about gaining love. Yes. Yeah, that's great. The other good point was not assuming what other people are thinking. And you're know, thinking the worst with Alan in particular. They might be thinking something totally positive, like not wanting to, to lose me. So I think that's an important shift for me to keep in mind, too, as I navigate this. Yeah. So, look, thank you so much for talking with us. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Christine. We look forward to hearing back from you. Thanks. So... I'm sitting here, I'm feeling this heaviness, this pain of so many people hurting on the one hand and so many people who found love on the other. I'm sure she's going to go ahead and do it. The people she's going to say it to, will. I hope they'll be touched by it. I hope they'll be reassured by it. I hope they'll be able to verbalize something in return. They might feel a little overwhelmed, but if she doesn't get that response in the actual call, I'm pretty sure she'll get it thereafter in, in some way. Yeah, I think with these kinds of situations, they're evolving. They're very live. And it takes time to really figure out what it all means when you get new information like this on this scale. So I think this is a good beginning to not having this guessing game going on between, I wonder what they're feeling. I wonder how she feels about me, but for her to just say, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know this is how I think about family. And I think that's a great place for her to start. So I'm really interested to hear how it felt for her to be able to do that. 
This is Dear Therapists, and we'll be back after a short break. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. So we heard back from Christine. Oh, wow. I really hope that went well. Let's give it a listen. Hi, Laurie and Guy. I'm just circling back on our conversation and my homework and wanted to update you. I had my face-to-face conversations with most of my family members now, and it has been really healing. So much has been skirted around or perhaps lost in translations of messages, emails, and calls till now. It was really good to get down to the meat of our feelings for a change and directly address the elephant that's been in the room since getting the shocking DNA results. I think they appreciated hearing my definition of family. What was really powerful was the acknowledgement of our mutual fear of loss. Thank you for surfacing that for all of us. I've really mulled over that fear of loss of love aspect in my head since talking to you. And it's really, really helped me see things through a new lens that makes me feel less insecure. On a bigger scale, I also think it helps me see my fellow travelers in life in a gentler light. Knowing we all share that common fear, thank you for helping me to get the confidence to navigate this tumultuous family situation and a new lens to view things through. I love that she got right to the heart of it, which is they were all struggling with the same thing with... I'm worried that I'm going to lose these people that I love and that they were receptive to hearing it when she framed it in that way. And I think what's really powerful was that we spoke just to her, but this is what happens in therapy as well. When somebody gains a certain insight that's related to their family, it really has a ripple effect and it can impact an entire system. And in this case, a really complex system. And so they all had that awakening in a way. Right. If just one person opens up a conversation that nobody knew how to broach, what a relief it is for everybody to have, as she said, the elephant in the room out in the open. And now people could say, me too. I feel that way too. Or I'm so glad you brought this up because I was feeling this and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I was scared. And I think that scared is important because there was a lot of fear on all sides. Everybody was just so afraid 
of losing something. And once you can voice that fear, then you can say, oh, wait a minute, maybe that fear is unfounded. We actually don't want anything to happen to the bonds that we have. Right. Once you remove the fear, what you're left with is the love. That brings us to the end of our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. You can follow us both online. I'm at lauriegottlieb.com and you can follow me on Twitter at lauriegottlieb1 or on Instagram at lauriegottlieb underscore author. And I'm at guywinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at guywinch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, Email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. Next week, a teacher talks to us about the challenges of being physically separated from her students. I have students who, when it comes up at the end of the hour, will say, I can't believe this is almost over. This is the time during the week that I don't feel lonely. And that's just heartbreaking. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.